You're listening to the Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Bolt Action Coffee, Safari Club International, Calgary Chapter, and Best of Seven Barbers. Production assistance provided by Fighting Spirit Productions. Now, kick back with a cold one, relax, and enjoy our show. Welcome, 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 everyone. You're listening to the Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories Podcast. Yes, we are back. We are back. Yes, we are always back intermittently, but it is hunting season and getting hunters to quit the field and be on the show during hunting season is, well, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it is proving rather difficult. And also, well, everybody's got lives, as do we. I know that seems unlikely. But today we're joined by Fletch. Huzzah. That's right. Welcome to the show. So good to have you you here, man. We've been trying to have you on for ages and ages and ages, it seems. Yeah, well, like you said, it's hunting season and I've got two small kids at home and every minute of my free time is spent either with a bow or gun in my hand. And so on a Monday, we were like, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. And and I understand you just got back from uh, from a whitetail hunt with one yeah. of the little gaffers. Yeah, actually, I should show you guys. So I've got a whitetail hanging in the garage right now. A bunch of fans pointed at it, so I got it skinned out last night. But yeah, so I've got... Uh, well, actually, let me rewind. So, um, you know, you call me Fletch. My name's Sean Fletcher. Uh, Calgarian here, uh, I guess, 10 years now. It, actually, you and I just had our uh, our first hunt was exactly 10 years ago. Yes, on the 12th. On the 12th. I remember that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cause After you had, Remembrance Day. Because you, you had... Uh... I'm met my wife. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Met you had wife. met your wife and you were late. And then you were the only guy who got a deer that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And exactly. everybody who didn't know you was like, where the hell is this guy? Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, it was a busy night last night. Yeah, so <laughs> fast, fast forward 10 years after meeting my wife. And uh, we have a three-year-old boy and a seven-month-old boy. And so um, I've taken my three-year-old out hunting a few times now. But um, this was our first time having success other than birds. He's been with me, you know, a hundred times with birds. And, uh, but our first, uh, big game success with the three-year-old. And so there's a lot of challenges that come with hunting with a three-year-old, but, uh, we got a real nice white tail buck, um, big front stickers on him actually. It was oh, kind of nice. cool. Yeah. So what's the biggest challenge when you're hunting with, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know, I don't need an infant. I He's a toddler. Toddler. Yeah. There yeah, we go. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. You know, I yeah. should know this. I do have some kind of education. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What are so, the challenges? Keep them quiet. Keep them interested. It's all What's, noise. Everything with a toddler is about noise. And so what you have to do is you have to manage when they're allowed to make noise. Oh. And so if you know that you're moving in between fields and you're not likely to bump something for the next little while. You say, okay, you can go ahead and make all the noise you want at this time. And then the other part to it is my backpack has a little bit of hunting stuff and a lot of snacks. So basically it's <laughs> snack time all day long with the toddler. So every time you see him lagging behind, he's drooping his head a little bit. Boom, let's get some sugar in that kid. Yeah, no doubt. Here's some jerky. Here's all the candy. Yeah. And again, I'll pay attention. Kid. Yeah. But so- you, you would think like being quiet is in hunting like we all came from you know neanderthal hunting backgrounds and you would think there's something in us to be quiet around wild game no no no. kids do not have that like they if he sees something he's like wow look at that i'm like Shh, god well it's all like a new unique experience to him and all you have to do is just go look in a a, a young classroom like a k-6 mm-hmm. classroom and even when it's it's seldom just silence Yes. You know, sometimes here on the show, we get silence when a guest is either too crushed or forgets his name or like me, forgets the name of the show. <laughs> but it does happen from time to time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, we got it. We we're uh, blind hunting in the morning and um, that was fine for a toddler. That's actually ideal because you can get a little heater in there. They're warm. Um, you can bring some toys. He can be a little bit louder, but we just didn't see much. So in the afternoon, we ventured out on foot. And, um, yeah, found a bedded buck with the doe and, uh, it was early enough that they stayed bedded down for us for, it took us almost an hour probably to stock up. Oh, wow. That's it. awesome. That's yeah. a good stock, man. That's wicked. Yeah. It was really cool. So the last hundred meters was like a pure belly crawl just to get to the stubble that was short enough that my rifle barrel could poke over it. But Beauty. it was great. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. So how did he react yeah. to the gunfire and the sight of the deer? Was he excited? Yeah. Was he a little bit yes. apprehensive? No, super excited. And that's because um, 
I take them out when I'm shooting the rifle, either decided in, you know, some early season practice and he's wearing the big earmuffs. So, you know, safety first. So, so he's actually used to wearing the big earmuffs and is totally used to gunfire. In fact, um, like we can talk about pheasant hunting in a little bit, but when you're pheasant hunting with a pointer, you actually, the dog goes on point and you actually have time to stop, put your hearing protection on the kid, give him a little safety briefing. Yeah, for sure. Don't do this. Don't go here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So he's totally cool. And then when we got up to it, he, um, he had a really interesting experience where he was, you know, holding the antlers and whatnot, but he was asking me, where's the meat? Cause that kid is basically made out of moose elk deer <laughs> and with the amount How that he's eating. How do I turn the deer into meat? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, so no doubt. my buddy with his nephews showed up and, uh, the one kid was asking, well, why don't we just leave the deer and take the antlers? That's what you want. Right. And I was like, well, I, okay, everyone sit down. We're going to have a little lesson here. <laughs> bring on, bring the, the college humor thing up about yeah. how trophy hunting works. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, it's cool to have a nice trophy on your wall for sure, but it doesn't mean you're not eating that trophy. Like, uh, I don't know. I think most of the stuff I've shot in Alberta is not worthy of wall banging. <laughs> yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah, I had to let, you know, everyone know, listen, like, Yes, we killed this big buck with nice antlers. However, the point of this hunting is actually for us to uh, eat the meat. We're going to learn how to um, field dress this thing together. We're going to butcher it because none of him, none of them had seen it before. So, so how they, uh, yeah. what, what happened when they first saw the gut pile? It was rough. They were yeah. like, what is <sighs> that? What part is this? And there's obviously a lot of blood coming out. But then uh, when we were leaving and they had the conversation about the antlers, my boy got kind of emotional. He was like, listen, like, you can't just take the antlers. We have to take all the meat. I'm like, good. Oh, nice, nice. So he sees it as, yeah, the totality of the experience for sure. There's kind of this rawness thing that I think is kind of inherent in the process. Yeah. And I, I was just talking to you offline before we got here about a rather raw hunt (laughs) that I just witnessed. Oh, yeah. In the Badlands. Oh, man. Wow. Because, well, you and I both know there are some deer that drop with a clean in and out shot, good to go. And then there are times where they've got, you know, an injured leg, they're running off, you're trying to finish them off. That can be rough on a kid. And so throughout the entire morning, I'm letting him know, listen, when, if we shoot a deer, you're going to see blood. Are you cool with that? And he, he doesn't know if he's cool with it or not, but he's now thinking about it. So rather than it being a shock, um, he was prepared for it. And so he was totally fine. Yeah, my son, he's a little, uh, I don't know, he's a teenager now, so he's a little too cool for dad. So yeah, I remember yeah, one yeah. time I had a I had a whitetail hanging in the garage. And I didn't tell him that I got a deer that day <laughs> until we're leaving and we have to walk through the garage and he opens the door and I just, Dad, you got a deer, super excited. Yeah. And then I said, yeah, let's go. Uh, I'm going to go out the other door. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to go anywhere near it. Exactly. Right? It kind of, you know, in his defense, it kind of looked a little bit like a crime scene in there. But yeah. This is part and parcel of what you do and, and, it and is. part of the game. Yeah. It is. And so like I've transitioned from my big, big mountain hunting over the last few years to things that are more close to home. Obviously, when you have babies at home and you're supporting your family, um, you can't be gone for an entire week. And now it's transitioning to how to bring the kids with you. Yeah, totally. Because you and I, we've done a fair share of upland hunting. Uh, we have. Yeah. Because like we, we had a great conversation Okay, so Fletch and I, Brooke, we were on a we were on like a ten or twelve hour drive to Bear Camp. We put the radio on, but I don't think we ever listened to it because we just gabbed yeah. the <laughs> 10 whole hours. Yeah, the whole way up, and it, we were just talking about. I think we talked about Upland for about five or six hours, and how we were starting to get really mm-hmm. quite keen on it. Yeah, big time. And uh, and and Fletch, you are you are a owner of a masterful dog. Holy crap, he's amazing. We got to we got to go to this one hunt um, out at Stavely. We were invited mm-hmm. guests, and we got invited under the condition that I can bring a plus one who has an amazing dog. And I'm not gonna lie, that was a pretty solid dog flex you had that day because holy shit, Angus was on fire. Like, oh man, yeah, he's amazing. Seeing him work, holy crap. Yeah, so, he like turns into a panther. So, so Angus, sorry, what, what kind of breed is he? Yeah, so um, my dog Angus is a seven-year-old Hungarian Vizsla or Vizsla in uh, the Hungarian parlance. And, and I always know I meet someone Hungarian because they're like, oh, what kind of dog is that? I'm like, oh, it's a Vizsla. They're like, you mean Vizsla. 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 I'm like, yes, whatever it is <laughs> that you just said. So what made you settle on that? Because like, I always yeah. thought everybody had to get like these... Um, GSPs and other kind of Springer Spaniels and all sorts of, you know, the floppy eared, really, really energetic kind of scoundrels. Yeah, totally. So um, I knew I wanted a hunting dog. And so if you want a hunting dog, there's basically three styles that you have to 
choose from retriever flusher or pointer yeah. i had hunted with um flushers and pointers before and i, I knew i wanted a pointer just i like that style yeah of, i like before i saw angus i had yeah. almost zero experience with a pointer i've seen lots of lots of retrievers just seeing them tackle a big surly goose that yeah. wasn't hit is just awesome like, it's I, awesome, I, yeah. I very much enjoy seeing that and then yeah I know some of the flushers they're they're just too energetic almost and they're like Tigger from uh, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all, over, all the over the place. place. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember a lot of times seeing other dogs work. They'd almost be too far away, and they would flush yep. something, and they're like, "Shit." Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a really good point. So one of the reasons to choose a Vigla is like all of these dogs are purpose built. Breeders have done an amazing job over uh, literally millennia in some cases, and so some dogs are pointers, but they're meant to be uh, hunting with people on horseback. And so they're going to range out a lot further because when they go on point, the guys on horseback can get there much quicker. Right. I wanted what would be known as a medium range pointing dog. And so it's literally in his DNA how far he's going to range out from a person. And I work with him on that a bit. So so historically, so what's the history yeah. behind the Vizsla? Is that yeah. is that more like hunting on foot? It or is. Chasseur, chasseur de pied, if you're, if you're right. en français. Right. I'm probably getting that wrong. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So they're more of a foot hunting um, breed. They come from, you know, a Hungarian aristocracy. They're really uh, closely related to uh, Weimaraners. Okay. Um, they are related to German short hair pointers. You can see it in, you know, their head shape and everything. But um, we... We're, uh, my wife and I at the time were already thinking about, you know, we're going to have a family at some point. And there are certain dog breeds that are not good around small children because they have it, Well, they're trying to herd them, right? Like, yeah, well, yeah. Th- there's ones that try and herd and there's some that see them as prey because... So, so the game, or sorry, so their prey yeah. drive is just too high and too high. it messes the kids up? Yeah, big time. Okay. And so in order to, um, basically it's like, Let's make a uh, priority list of what we want here. And so for me, it's hunting, okay, pointing, check, uh, family friendly. And so when you look at that list, um, Hungarian Vizsla becomes a, uh, uh, basically rose to the top of the list. So they're known as a very gentle um, uh, dog breed. They're super family friendly and uh, incredible hunting lineage. And so... um, there's a lot of Vizslas out there. They started to become really popular because, you know, they're cute puppies and all that. So how'd you find Angus? Yeah. So uh, I was living down in uh, Houston, Texas at the time. And I went on some gun, gun dog forums and we found uh, quite a few breeders in Texas. Uh, but most of them had, let's say, uh, 12 to 18 month wait lists. Oh, wow. And that wasn't even pick of the litter. And for some reason, these things go in uh, trends. Some people want a uh, uh, female. Some people want a male. And basically, it's like whatever dog was champion that year, if it was a female, I was like, females are the best. We want a female. Yeah, like I know, I know several people who say they only want female dogs. They mm-hmm. want female dogs. And then my wife only wants male dogs. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, yeah, I, it turns out there's no rhyme or reason. It's just a, a fad thing. So hunting down yeah. in Texas, like, well, I don't, you know, maybe we'll we'll put a pin in that and we'll get yeah, back yeah. to it. Because, like, I remember you sharing some of your wild tales. Oh, my God. Yeah. Of going down to Texas and they're just, man, they're terrific uh, adventures. Tales from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm always keen to hear Sorry. So back, yeah. back to the visa. Yeah, so it's so, just kind of a crapshoot. And how'd you? How'd you yep. So we um, basically, we phoned some people thinking that we were going to interview breeders, make sure that they are choose like they uh have the traits they're selecting for the traits that we're looking for right and uh it turns out that the best breeders are actually interviewing you and so uh the one that we ended up uh choosing uh i had over an hour and a half conversation with him before he would even agree to meet us so we wanted to know my hunting style my lifestyle how much time i'm gonna have for the dog and uh so he was outside of um uh, Dallas. And so, um, Hungarian Vizslas have a uh, red coat. And so he was, um, redneck kennels, of course. Beauty. And, and so, uh, I was like, okay, I really like this guy. And he phoned me up just three weeks later and he said, um, we've had a litter, two females and a male, the male's yours if you want it, because for some reason no one wants males now. And I said, yes. And so yeah, sold, it was right? eight weeks later after he was weaned, um, we got Angus. 
So what's the first step? You get this new yeah. dog. Is there kind of a training program that comes with the breeder or did you, yeah. you identify a training style beforehand? Was there kind of lessons or lectures that you had to attend? Kind of like, I don't want to say mm-hmm. an obedience school, but hunt dog school where they're, I know, what are the pitfalls though? Like, cause you, you self-trained mm-hmm. if I, if I, did. if I recall correctly. Yeah. So I decided to do the, uh, self-training myself, uh, simply because I had the time and that's kind of my style. I'm like, okay, new hobby. I'm going to just dive in to the deep end here and, and train this dog myself. And so what I did is, um, uh, went old school, got some hunt, gun dog, uh, training DVDs and, uh, <laughs> it comes with like a leash and some other things. I was like, oh, okay, that's, we'll start that's there. Beauty. Yeah. Plus I just like having those old school things on my shelf. Right. So I think it was these guys called the hunt Smiths and they basically spend their entire year traveling around the country, giving seminars. They're very highly regarded, but now, uh, and so then I upgraded from the DVD and just dove into YouTube as you do with everything, right? Yeah, like it's just it's just so handy and it's out there. Like it's yep. it's so available. And then like there's a ton of books too. Like uh, like I've read several books about training dogs, but there's just mm-hmm. something about yeah, it gives you a good base of knowledge. But I find they're yeah. just not um, well, at least the ones I read anyway. They they just weren't um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Resource heavy. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps they were a little too general. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah, that's exactly. what you found as well. Or it is and. And with a bird dog specifically, you have to do things in a certain order so that the dog, the dog has instincts, number one. So 95% of what Angus is capable of doing for pointing, finding birds is all him. To get him to work with me and understand my words of command and I can start to understand his body language, that's the other 5% that we're going to work on. So as a puppy, it's all the normal obedience stuff. Because without obedience, you can't control your dog in the field. Well, yeah, and there's this these little idiosyncrasies, and I think you only get those if you work with your dog a lot. Mm-hmm. Because there was times where we'd go out hunting, and you said, "Oh, he's kind of getting birdie." Exactly. And I'm like, "Okay, well, he kind of looks the same to me, but I guess is, so." Is he is he screwed with me? Okay, I'm gonna get ready just in case something happens. He could be screwed, but he just got me excited because I'm an excitable guy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's right. And and so I know plenty of people who have sent their dogs away to three, four months of gun dog training. Yeah, because there's a lot of people, uh, you, you hear this quite regular, or at least I have, mm-hmm. uh, a started puppy. Yes, exactly. A, a started dog. And yep. once you uh, once you throw that in the conversation, man, does it, it really gets the price up there. Big time. And yeah. I find, well, if you don't have the time, that's one thing, sure. But that building that relationship with your puppy, is it's got to be the most important thing that I've realized over time because I've been hunting in like some pretty solid pheasant locations like South Dakota with guys who have had these super expensive dogs from, I mean, Angus has a great lineage as well, but these dogs have like the pedigree from, Mm -hmm. you know, the dogs winning all these trials. They sent them away for four months, get out to the field for uh, first time, second time, third time. And you can see that that relationship isn't there. And the dog is trying to do its best, but because its owner isn't linked up with it, it is a disaster. Yeah, so it's kind of, uh, he's not really paired with it as strongly, no. perhaps, yeah. No, 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 exactly. And so with the puppy, everything is about positive reinforcement. After a while, there are some things that they'll be doing with negative reinforcement that um, you need to make sure, you know, those are the things you don't want to have happen. But everything you do want to have happen, positive reinforcement over and over again. But, but you did a big investment, too. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I recall correctly, you were buying you were buying birds just, yeah. to, just to set up field training, doing setups. Exactly. Knowing exactly. where the bird was, going in. And it's, yep. just, you, that, it's a time investment, for sure. And yep. I think... Uh, a lot of folks think, well, I'll get a started dog and it's kind of this turnkey solution is something I want. Me, I would, oh man, I'd love a hunting dog, but all my dogs are rescues. <laughs> They're all rescues. You know, they need homes, but oh man. I'm yeah. telling you, like the, the people who get rescues are doing it because you're right. The dog needs a home. If you are serious about getting a hunting dog, you're flipping a coin whether that dog's going to hunt or not. Yeah, yeah. Our last dog, shit, he would have been such a, oh, he, he even pointed awkwardly a few times. Yeah. He could retrieve, he could swim, but it was just gunfire. He couldn't do gunfire. Okay, yeah. So, you know, you're asking about training, right? So the gunfire training isn't going to happen until the dog is about four to six months old. Okay. And again, you're doing it with positive reinforcement. If you have live birds, that's even better. But basically, you start off with like a starter pistol. Okay. Yeah. So and like I, I've seen those little, um, I don't know, they shoot like a blank 22 round, like exactly. a 22 short. And yep. it shoots the... And yep, that's it. Holy shit. I was out and a, a friend had one and just shot one of and fuck are they loud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I wasn't prepared for how deafening it would be. I thought it would just be like, yeah, because you know, like a potato cannon almost. Bonk, and... Yeah. No, no, no. They're super loud. So what you actually do is you um, 
you need a partner for this one, but the dog is uh, staked out. So basically it's on a chain tied to a stake or in its kennel. And the guy with the starter pistol goes like 100 meters out, like really far out. And the guy staying with the dog has either a live bird or a treat. And you show the bird to the dog. You get it really excited. And then the guy goes out with the starter pistol, fires it off. So it's quiet, but it's clearly a gunshot. And then you drop that bird in front of the dog. And the dog's like, oh, I get it. When that gunshot goes off, a bird appears. This is really cool. And I get a treat. Yeah, they get that positive association, right? And you have to do that super quiet and pretty far away. And then all you do is start decreasing that distance between the gunfire and the dog. And this isn't all in the same day, by the way. This right. is over a few weeks. Okay. And uh, it's a Pavlovian response, right? So gunshot goes off. It's no longer scary because either a, word, a dead yeah. bird or a treat appears my way. Good so, to go. So how do you work on the soft mouth? Like I know there's... You go, you go to all the outdoor stores and they have yeah. like these different bite tools and everything else like that. How do, yeah. you, how do you train the soft mouth and just stop your dog from ripping your bird into a thousand pieces? Yeah, there's a couple things that go along with soft mouth. One is like crushing the bird. And then another one is plucking its feathers. Because hardwired into a dog's DNA is you pluck feathers with your mouth before you eat the bird. This yeah. is why... You've seen it when we're out hunting with pheasants that get found by a coyote instead of our hunting dogs, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just a big pile of feathers there. And you can honestly like see how it's been picked out. And so um, if your dog starts, this is really tough, right? Because um, with hunting dogs, 99% of the time they're wearing an electronic collar. Right. And that's capable of uh, a vibration setting, a beep setting, and an electric shock I, setting. I, I can't remember if... Angus doesn't hunt with one, though, if I recall correctly. He does. He no, does? He, he okay. does, but I never have to correct him anymore. And so um, I use the the e-caller with Angus now really just for his recall. Okay, right yeah. on. Yeah, because there's sometimes where it's just out of sight or if it's loud. Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. It's nice to have that little, that little speaker box right exactly. near him, Yeah. But if you want to give your dog a correction and you use the electric shock because he's plucking bird feathers, if he's too young... He's going to associate that electric shock with just being near a bird. Oh, shit. And that's almost as bad as a gun die, gun shite dog like you were just talking about, right? Oh, yeah, totally. And so uh, what you have to do is basically um, give him a correction yourself a little more gently and, and pick up the bird and take it away from him. Um, one of the things that you'll do with a puppy is let him carry around a dead bird. If he starts crushing it, you just take it away. And the reward is if he's gentle, he gets to keep the bird. Now, over time, when you're working with your dog, basically what they're supposed to do is you shoot the bird, it goes and retrieves the bird, brings it directly back to you, no parading it around. This is actually part of some hunting tests, right? No parading around. And then it hands it, uh, literally puts it in your hand, and then it should go out hunting again. That's the goal. That's awesome. I got, I got a buddy. He's got a really well-trained dog. But same name as my idiot dog. And, uh, <laughs> and it always has to draw. It's, it's so funny. He says, hey, if you're expecting uh, Scout here to drop the bird off right in your hand, he's not going to. Yeah. <laughs> he just throws it at you from four meters away. Like, pick it up, human. <laughs> and, then, carries and then he just keeps going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but he, he put a lot of work on that one because it was yeah. one that they didn't think was, was going to be suitable for hunting. Okay. Yeah, so he really leaned into it hard. And you know what? Oh, no, I have to. I'm walking that way anyway. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll... I mean, there. this is the difference between guys like me who aren't field testing these animals. We're not going to competitions. I wanted to train just a really good hunting dog field companion. If you are going into um, uh, NAVDA, which is um, uh, North American Versatile um, Hunting Dog Association... Um, you know, organizations like that have very specific things that your dog has to do in order to pass these tests. And it is designed to make it the best hunting dog possible. And this is retrievers, pointers, and all that. And retrieving to hand is one of those things. If your dog is an amazing pointer and hunter and it actually um, drops the, the bird four feet from you and then goes hunting again, who cares? That's, yeah. that's the way I think about it. And so with Angus, you know, he's a versatile hunting dog, so he's a pointer, but I also trained him for waterfowl. 
And so uh, he's been on quite a few early season duck hunts. He's a short coat dog, so the winter doesn't really do great for him. Like, well, yeah, you got the you got the, you got the awesome vest for him though, right? Like, yeah, those, yeah, um, yeah. Those neoprene right. vests, the neoprene ones. Yeah, so and they got a little bit of flotation exactly. assist in there. How's he, how, how good yeah. is he at swimming? Like, he's great amazing. at retrieving. Yeah, I mean, he has webbed feet for amazing swimming. All these versatile hunting dogs do. Like, and so finding a dog in the weeds, being willing to swim it and bring it back, it's phenomenal. Actually, we were on one hunt the, when we moved back from. Uh, Texas to Alberta. That was the first time I took him actually goose hunting. He had been duck hunting down in Texas, but uh, I shot my first snow goose up here, and it landed about twenty feet out in the water. And he goes charging in to get it, and he cannot get that thing in his mouth because it's you know a freaking twenty five pound goose. Yeah, and uh, so finally he figured out that they come with a built in handle, so he grabs its neck and drags it to shore. <laughs> and so that was his first goose, and. Um, he couldn't drag it up on shore, but he certainly went out, got it, had the drive to keep swimming while trying to get this thing in his mouth to bring it back to me. Right. So you're talking about birding down in Texas. I think we, we talked one time you were saying how there was areas where you were birding mm-hmm. and you couldn't actually bring your dog. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, Texas is, you know, 99%, um, privately owned. That it's 1% public land. So it's totally different than what we see up here in Alberta, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there are landowners who will let you go hunting in certain uh, spots, but they're going to put rules down saying, you know, we don't allow dogs because of whatever things. Or sometimes it's because of the natural birds in the area. However, um, depending on what season you're hunting, you can't hunt birds with your dog because there's an alligator threat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Like, So what's it like when you don't have the dog there? And yeah, you got to walk out, and you're like, okay. Yeah, you're, you're going in, yeah. and there's an alligator. Thing. Yeah, there's a gator here somewhere. Maybe I lost a whole bunch of birds in the water. Yeah. Well, so you know what we did was got those uh, extendable painters poles, and you put a hook on the end, and it's one of those hooks. I think I even bought it. It meant for hooking ducks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like the decoy ones. Exactly. Kinda, okay. Wow. Yeah. And so that's what we were doing. Or you take a John boat out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like the Cajun style. Well, exactly Cajun style, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, like, you got Angus, but you're not just an upland dog master. That's Flash, right. Are you? No, like, um, <laughs> I, I think you got you got a pair of boots made out of a gator somewhere kicking around. Yeah, yeah, so the gator skull's right up there. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. ho- hogging, you did a ton of hogging. A ho- ton of hogging. So, Texas... Like my introduction to Texas hunting was about as Texas as it gets. Cause I went into, I got down there, went into Bass Pro and I was like, what do I need to hunt down here? And they're like, okay, well online you can do just like everywhere. You're hunter safety, but I had my hunter safety up here. So, um, I said, so well, they make you, you do, do it again or did you just have to like a test that you Yeah, have I it? did it again. Cause they said, well, it's Texas specific. So you might as well get the Texas one. So, oh okay. yeah, yeah. Just for novel purposes, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure, yeah. you know, you got to know all the rules about gators. We don't have them up here in Alberta. So. And like, okay, that's fine. So go do the hunt test. Go back to buy my license. And I said, hey, I'm looking to hunt deer and, you know, maybe some upland game birds. And the guy's like, oh, okay, well, that'll be 40 bucks. But if you want, you could spend $65 and get the super combo. And I'm like, super combo. I'm like, listen, I don't know what the super combo is, but I obviously want that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, beauty. Yeah. So how's your bow setup different when you're going for gator than versus yeah. deer or elk or is it just exactly the same or is it more kind of like a bow fishing rig? Yeah. Good like- question. I, I had to look it up cause I was like, you know, I kind of want a line tied to the arrow if I'm shooting something in water. Yeah. That's kind of the way my brain works, but like, I don't know. I've never hunted anything in a, with a bow. Yeah. turns water. out yeah. that's not what you want because you don't want to be attached to a 10 foot gator. Yeah, can you imagine it just drags in and you're going skiing into the gator pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, so what do you end up using? Is there a special kind of gator tip? Or There's not a and standard, like 400 grain broadhead kind of thing. Yeah. I think I ended up using, um, probably a lighter broadhead than that, maybe like a 300 gram broadhead or 250. But I bought one specifically with a chisel point. Uh, chisel points, I was reading, I've changed my mind now, but the chisel point um, was meant to like be able to go through its armor, basically. Okay. And so it punched right through. Turns out it had no problem. I shot it right in the back of the head and it went down pretty quick. But uh, when... Um, when I shot it and it looked like it was dead, I still shot it two more times because <laughs> I had to go then get the John boat and go fish this thing out. And I was like, it's a 10 foot gator. I was just, just shy of, I'm making sure this thing is dead. Yeah. Gator is a pretty, uh, 
Well, man, they're they're terrible. Like I've seen some Crocs in uh, Namibia, yeah, in yeah. South Africa, and oh man, I don't I don't know if I'd want to tangle with one. No, you you can see just from the teeth it's something you don't want to mess with. But it was an awesome hunt, and then uh, skinning it out was really um, a chore because um, its back is literally armor, and so um, you know I got one of those knives with replaceable blades and you're actually cutting like in between the individual armor plates on the back because I knew I wanted to make boots. And so when you don't want to uh, cut down the belly because the uh, big scales on the belly is what you want on the side of the boots. And so you actually skin it like you would kind of the gutless method or keeping out like a big game animal from the back. Okay. So yeah, cause that, that belly is usually pretty soft. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like uh, I had the opportunity to handle, well, well not the same Crocs, but like, Mm-hmm. Their their belly. I, I was so surprised at how smooth and soft it was, mm-hmm. and then they kind of give you the brief that that's the the desirable leather. It is so for sure. Yeah. However, the boot maker was phenomenal that I I went to. So, so did you go down in Texas or did you go to Alberta boots? Oh here? no no, it was Texas. Okay, yeah. You do, you can't trust an Alberta boy with a gator. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think they would know what to do with gator. No. I, you know what? That might be an overgeneralization, but I love I love gator skin. Oh man. Well, even the Texans weren't. They knew what to do with it. However, the guys were like, oh, you shot that yourself. You need to go see this guy. And I was like, oh, okay. So I go see that guy. He's like, oh, you shot that yourself? No, you actually want to go see this third guy. So they kept just passing along. Yeah. Like, oh, no, what shape is this going to be in? Exactly. So then I go to the third guy and he's like, yep, I can do it. There I go. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's great. But he measured my foot in like 22 different places. It's the best pair of boots I've got. But what? If you think about the uh, part of the boot that flexes when you're walking, those that's the leather from the uh, joints of the animal. Oh, Whereas okay, yeah, because it's flex and some give. Exactly. Whereas the sides of the boot are the beautiful big scales from the belly because those don't really flex either when you're walking or when the alligator is moving. I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. Oh, beauty. That's oh, that's such an awesome item, man. I'm kind of jelly. Yeah. I don't oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to get down there. When the world's a little bit better, I'm going <laughs> to... You have to. You have to. Uh, Texas, I, uh, I'm i sure you can get tags in Texas, but Louisiana, I hear, is like the place to go for a good game. Well, you know, we'll have, to, we'll have to check it off. Like, oh, you know, we'll just go to some game dinner, and I'm sure yeah. it'll be on there, and we'll just say, okay, this one. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. it. We're going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of those are like, come down for the gator, and we'll throw in like... Uh, hog shoot on the side right i quite like the meat though like i know there's quite a few people who don't like gator or croc oh, and, I love and it. yeah the meat is really good like yeah. it's i don't know how to describe it it's kind of like halibut that's that's how i would describe it yeah it's maybe a little bit more firm and it's um you know we ate that whole gator um the tail was really cool where the inside of the tail has like two different types of muscle the outside is like a flank steak the inside is like a tenderloin Oh, beauty. Yeah, so some I would cook up in like medallions and then sort of those ones with the longer muscle fibers get uh, cut uh, with the grain, fried up, and they're more like gator bites. Oh, beauty. Like, yeah, the only place I've ever eaten it was Australia. And, you, you know, oh, right. and I, yeah, I, just, yeah. I just did that stupid voice the whole time <laughs> where they just gave me a shitload of it. And we're like, okay, fuck off, mate. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, do, do your thing, and I destroyed it. It was awesome. It was like having a yeah. Asian chaps, bud, but like, yeah, big time. Yeah, I would, I would eat it all over again. Like, it's yep. it a great animal for sure. Yeah, but, but I mean, when I was in Texas, most of what I ate was wild boar. Um, there's, there's so plentiful, you don't even need a license to hunt wild boar anymore. Yeah, they're, and they're delicious, invasive, right? Yeah, they're big time invasive, invasive species. Um, like they're feral hogs. They're a mix of like Eurasian wild boar and like escaped domestic. Well, hogs. I remember I was at your house one time after you moved back. And you've got this beautiful, pristine skull. Oh, yeah. And then it just looks like somebody took a ball-peen hammer and just smashed it in. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, dude, it's a story here. And uh, yeah. I don't know, you care to share? Like, I think you were saying, I'm not going to shoot a pig today. I'm not going to shoot a pig today. Yeah, that's I don't exactly know if it's right. the same, same event, but. Yeah, it, so basically during deer season, um, you have to tell yourself, I'm not going to shoot a pig because there are hogs running around absolutely everywhere and, and do they care if you're there or not they do and so if you're in a tree stand um the hogs they are really susceptible deer i find look uh up at you more if you're in a deer stand but basically the whole time you're in a deer stand hogs are running around um beside you underneath you and so after a while if you don't see a deer you get a niche trigger finger and you're like something's gonna die today but i really want it to be a deer and so after a while you're like oh, okay if a really big hog comes out, I'm going to take that one out. 
So there's a couple days, and this is all with my bow, right? And so there's one day I'm like, okay, fine. Shoot a pig with my bow. It runs off into the woods. I see my illuminated knock running off into the brush and then fall over. I'm like, okay, good. I got that guy. Climb down from the stand to go get him. And on the way to pick up that pig, I come across another one. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll shoot him too. <laughs> so shoot him, double lung that guy. He falls over dead. I'm like, oh, okay. This is a lot more work than I expected. So now I've got to walk a kilometer and a half back to my car, get my cooler on wheels and my butchering kit, walk all the way back out. Start butchering those hogs up because it's still hot. Like it's deer season, but it's hot in Texas, right? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty warm. Yeah. So, you know, basically on your way to go hunting, even if you don't know you got something, you're throwing a bunch of ice in your cooler just in case, get it all butchered up. And uh, because it's pigs, I could actually bring Angus and he blood trailed to that one pig that ran off because it was dark at this point and he was able to help find that hog. It was phenomenal. Oh, beauty. Yeah. But it was... um, a couple weeks before that, when I was just setting up trail cameras out in this gully. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and that's when um, one of the uh, ranch hands at this uh, land I was hunting on said, listen, I know you're just going to set up trail cams. you got to bring a gun with you no matter what. I'm like, why is that? He's like, you don't want to mess with those hogs, man. I'm just telling you. Just bring Yeah, you kind of brush it off like he's paranoid, but you're like, yeah. you know, why not? Sure. Why not? I I'll can. Freedom. I'm yeah. taking it with me, yeah. Yeah, so I had my... Uh, auto-loading shotgun, like my duck gun, basically, with me. I was like, okay, I'll just bring that. Loaded up with a bunch of buckshot. And I still had my plug in for duck season, right? You can only have three shells. Yeah, you weren't really putting much thought into it. No, exactly. But with uh, hogs, you can have as many shells as you want, but I wasn't thinking. So I throw a bunch of uh, double-op buck in there and head out. And so I get to the first trail camera, and uh, as I'm swapping out the batteries, I hear a whole bunch of movement behind me and a sow and a bunch of cubs go running by. So I grab the shotgun, shoot the sow, shoot one, of, or what I call it, a cub, shoot one of the piglets. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but then I hear a louder rustling up above me at the top of the gully. And that's when a giant boar is staring down at me and I have one shell left. And you've just wasted his whole family. And I wasted <laughs> his wife and children in front of him. Exactly. And so I pivot, turn get the shotgun pointed right at his chest. And from, I'm going to say it was probably 20 meters away, plug him straight frontal shot with the uh, uh, double up buck. And he pauses and keeps coming. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So now I reach in my pocket, have to grab another shell, quickly throw it in because I'm out, hit the button, slide goes forward, and I shoot him in the head from probably 10 feet away. And you've seen the skull. Yeah, yeah. It's right. <laughs> like all of that buckshot. The freight train went right in there. Exactly. So he got hit by probably eight. I think there's 12 pellets in uh, uh, three or uh, two and three quarter inch uh, buckshot. He, get hit, he got hit by eight of them. That's how close or how small the grouping was. And it just blew up the back of his head. He collapses. So I hike out maybe 20 minutes later, get back to the buildings and the ranch hand is like, oh, you get your trail camera set up. I'm like, I shot the biggest hog I think I've ever seen. He's like, you haven't seen any hogs. (laughs) How do you know it's a big hog, right? So I said, I think we need the tractor. He's like, oh, the Canadian boy needs a tractor to get the hog out, right? Yeah. So it turns out this thing was close to 400 pounds. Oh, damn. Uh, He's like, damn, yeah, we do need the tractor. So got that thing out of there. Um, got it strung up, butchered it all out. And uh, as I'm skinning that hog out, his rear hindquarter, my knife keeps hitting something under his skin. And I realize that I'm hitting birdshot. So sometime in the past, this hog had been peppered by probably some guy on a tractor seeing hogs run by, got his side peppered with birdshot, healed over completely. You couldn't see it at all. But sure enough, we skinned him out and we saw probably a couple dozen birdshot stuck oh, in his wow. side. Yeah. That's the closest I've ever had to that. I had to I shot a mule doe several years ago and it had a, a bunch of 22 holes in it. <laughs> and this Weird. huge cyst around. Oh, it was gross. Super gross. Yeah. Yeah. It was gross. So probably the mangiest deer I've ever shot. Like it looked healthy enough until I got to that one spot. What the hell is this? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Do, do you have any kind of, um, I, I don't know, indicators of those wounds or was it just... It was well, that's just like, what we thought, right? We were like, this is super weird. So we actually, so then we flipped the skin back over. Couldn't even tell. Oh, wow. Couldn't even tell. Now, this is like this is how much hunting I've done in, in Texas. So I've shot three pigs 
that have either bullets or birdshot in them. Damn, are they there. tough, eh? Super tough. But I guess one was a shoot. pistol bullet. Oh, wow. So everybody just takes shots at them whenever they can. Because, you know, <laughs> what? you never know, just Hail Marys and things like that. Oh, they just don't care. Like, you're trying to eradicate this invasive species down there, basically. Yeah, I don't. Uh, oh, man. I don't know if hunting's the way to do it, but it chips in every way it can. It right? does. Because, like, like, I know trapping's big down there. Do you run any guys who trap pigs? Yeah, or? so I ended up helping those ranch hands run traps. And there were some times that we would catch eight pigs and some of these circle traps. Sometimes you'll catch lone pigs. Uh, most of the time, though, you're catching small pigs because the old ones, they're wise, man. They, they've seen enough traps. They've seen enough pigs get caught up in there that they don't, they just don't get caught. Well, if you're slamming on Hogzilla there, four or 500 pound. <laughs> exactly. Like, and, you know, and I see some of the photos of these things that guys are pulling out there. They just, yeah. oh man, they look prehistoric. Like these look like mutants from another world, right? Totally. And, uh, and so we would trap them. And if there was a really big one in there, we'd just shoot it in the head and uh, drag it out and process it. But if you had a bunch of piglets, you could actually sell them. And so the ranch hands would sell live piglets to people to just raise up as they would any other hog on a farm. Oh, wow. I didn't think they yep. could do that. I think you do domestic pig. Maybe well, they like, weren't allowed to. Origin. I don't know. <laughs> you know. I don't know. Like, I, I just I just don't know enough about it. Other than, like, I've been on the odd pig hunt here in Alberta. But Yeah, right. Yeah, they're very uh, they're very restrictive. I keep forgetting they're up here because I, I've never seen one. Yeah, you got to go by Mayorthorpe. Uh, or oh, yeah. areas. You and I have hunted a lot. Like, they're apparently out there, and I've hunted out there for, like, 11 or 12 years. I've never seen one. But yeah. just because I've never seen one doesn't mean... Well, even there. in Texas, they were mostly nocturnal. Mm. Um, we would hunt them during the day. Um, I killed most of them probably in their bed. And then in deer season, I would shoot them from a, a, a tree stand. Oh, just like deer, first light, last light. Oh, wow. So hunting culture in Texas, how would you say it yeah. differs from Alberta? Yeah, it's it's good. it's a lot more trophy focused. Really? Yeah. Okay. So being 99% private land, most of the landowners down there are putting actually a lot more effort into raising big deer. And so you're, they're not just out there shooting everything. Like a lot of guys in Alberta, and I understand why they're just shooting the first legal thing that comes in front of them. Right. Yeah. You know, take on the first with you'd be happy on the last kind of thing. Yeah, it is. And down in Texas, they can be picky. So it, the deer down there are way smaller than Alberta deer. First of all, their bodies are way smaller. Um, but they can get some really big antlers and these guys are selecting for antler growth. And these are even low fence guys. So like they have enough property that the deer, they can pretty much reliably say that they're going to be on that property. Um, some of the big high fence ranches, which I never hunted, um, they are bringing in breeder deer with specific antler characteristics. So, so they're bringing in breeder stock then, especially like some of the game farms do in, in Africa and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that was the, the main thing that I saw in Texas hunting culture. That just yeah. didn't really blow your hair back? No, not really. Yeah, so... There's there's big talk right now. Actually, I guess it's kind of, um, well, just right now there's been a big debate about legalization of high fence hunting here in Alberta. In Alberta, that's right. I yeah, I'm kind of curious because like we already have these game farms here, and mostly for domestic production, this, that, and the other. And you know, I'm I'm still not quite sure where I fall on this because they're already here. So how do I care if somebody just goes on and, and shoots one? My only concern is if Crown Land starts to get sold off and become these exactly ranches that become exclusionary because part of the thing here is the amount the freedom you have to hunt here in Alberta is pretty yep. extensive. Yeah, it is. I'm struggling with this as well and it's because I've had a couple experiences in Texas specifically with uh friends of mine who have gone to those high fence places and I've given them a bit of a hard time like oh was it you know chained up like that goat in Jurassic Park feeding it to the T-Rex and you <laughs> slipped in there with a knife and slit its throat right? Yeah. Then, you know, one of the guys that sort of changed my mind, not completely, but he brought his boy there for one of his first hunts. And I think his boy was 10 at the time. I, I just got to say, you've seen the King of the Hill episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, all, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I hear it. But It yeah, is, it is. And so when, uh, when you're bringing your child hunting and you, first of all, there's a couple things you need to keep, teach kids. One is that you're not going to be successful every time. But you do want to show that child some success sometimes. And those high fence places are pretty much a guarantee. And so if you can go give that kid a good experience, then then I get it. I think that works for Texas, and I'm not so sure it works for Alberta. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. Like, uh, I, you know, if there's a willing buyer for that and there's a willing seller, mm -hmm. okay, if the market says that's something people want, 
if it gets more people in hunting, then I think that's a good thing because I know there's a ton of people who are in hunting, but perhaps they don't have the time to hunt. They don't have the time to invest doing the legwork. That's right. Um, um, meeting people, going out, doing doing the, the recce and everything else. Yep. Uh, you, you know, it's just, for me, I don't know. I kind of walk on the knife edge where I I like how there's some organizations out there, they really push fair chase. And, you know, there's there's game farms in Africa that fully do fair chase. and they have It's because of their size, right? Yeah, they're just massive. And we're at, I, I don't know if we can necessarily replicate that here or not. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know enough. I'm, I'm trying to become educated on it. I'm trying not to come from an emotional <laughs> standpoint, but... I, I, again, a lot of the records, like yeah, if you shoot one there, it's got fourteen years to grow up. It's not yeah. the same as a, as a wild deer or, well, that's or whatever whatever happens to be in there, right? Like I don't think you can do high fence moose because no, I, I don't think a moose would ever go for that. <laughs> no, exactly. And you know, I don't want to be cliche, but like I like our Alberta wild animals to be wild. And hunting a wild animal, there's something special about that. If it keeps some people out of the public land that I like to hunt because they're going to go hunt one of these private places, I could see some upside in that for sure. I, our hills and fields are getting more and more busy every year. I don't know if you're noticing the same thing. Yeah, like I'm, I'm rather fortunate because uh, most of the hunting I do is on private land. I'm, right. I'm that spoiled <laughs> asshole. There are the odd times though I go on Crown, especially like adjacent to one of the areas that yeah. I go at. And then I'll, you know, it's just getting nuts. Like you go to a trailhead or anything like that. Oh, and, it's crazy. And, um, Alberta does not have an orange rule, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know what it is here. You'll go a lot of times. I don't know if it's just because there's novice guys or dudes are just cheap, but a good pair of binos it will really save you a lot of hassle because there's sometimes I'm, I've been in the woods, especially on Crown Land. This guy pointing mm-hmm. rifle right at you just so he can look through his scope. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, that makes me a little apprehensive. I'd say so. Yeah. You've been in those circumstances before. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a little it's a little concerning. But, like, I get yeah. it. Being, you know, the cheap, it's for everybody. Your scope mm-hmm. has, you know, 4 to 12 power. Your binos might only have 10. And That's right. Yeah. But I'm also worried about uh, disease. Um, we know livestock, selling livestock can spread disease, and we have a way to manage that. If it's not the same for whatever wild game species that they want to bring in on these ranches, then I'm worried that that's actually going to, um, you know, some guy gets the permit in the foothills to set up this private hunting enterprise. And he's going to buy these animals, let's say from Saskatchewan, from maybe a CWD area. I don't want to see that moving around. Yeah. Cause like, uh, it's weird. There's that line that kind of runs top to bottom mm-hmm. of the province. Kind of like, uh, he's the latitude line straight down. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. almost like one of these prime meridians that they have. And, Excuse me. So it goes, that line has been moving more and more west every year. Exactly. And I remember for several years it was, oh, voluntary turn-in, voluntary turn-in, mandatory turn-in. Mm-hmm. And then now the mandatory turn-in line, I think it's a straight line right down the middle of the province. I think you're right, yeah. And, and uh, the amount of tags that were issued this year, like I don't, I don't know if, you, if you've noticed that at all, but I think, I don't know if that's going to make a dent in, in CWD at mm-hmm. all in the province. Like I just, I just don't know. You know, I need to become more informed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do too. Um, it's something that even if it's not mandatory, um, you know, we've made the choice in our household that we're getting every animal tested. If it's something that the province offers for free, in fact, with the deer I shot yesterday, I took its brainstem and lymph nodes into the drop-off location today. It was super easy. Got it done. Yeah, like, like with your weeks. smartphone, you just pan and... Done. Yeah, because I remember we were in one area. It was mandatory head turn. I think five or six deer got taken out of that zone that year. Mm-hmm. And all of them were naked. It, right. Yeah. And then the year after it was voluntary turn in and um, these other folks I know like through somebody else, like, I don't know, not really the directest connection, but mm-hmm. every single deer they had. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah. Do you know if they ate it before they got the results back? They did not. They threw it in their freezer. Yeah. Okay. And, and yeah, you know, and I did the same thing. I was like, uh, I know. Uh, you know, no it, humans it, ever caught it. I, I know. Yeah. And like, I know there was recently... I don't know, bro. Can you see this? Like CWD made the jump to primates, but they were feeding them like only a CWD diet for months and like months. Like making them suck the marrow out of the spine or something. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to log on to the Universal University <laughs> Journal site and really kind of do a deep dive because. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's a lot of times where like a journal article will get reported by somebody else, so it's um, it's not necessarily the primary source of research that you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, true. And and I I, I don't want to be the guy. Well, ah, 
is, oh, yeah. is, is, is just not just the, uninformed. We have too much uninformed chit chat going on in this world right now. So I know, <laughs> I know. I just like to acknowledge areas where I like, you, you know, I can have an emotional opinion about it for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I try to be as reasoned and as rational as far as I can, because, yeah. well, what is the, I, I guess the, the legal term would be proportionality. Yeah, Does yeah. the benefit of doing it outweigh not doing it, et cetera. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. So if you can leave it in your freezer for, you know, a couple of weeks, cool. I mean, we'll just wait for the test to come back. And so when I uh, shot my moose, um, it was mandatory testing. But I'm not, I don't think any moose has ever tested positive, but it was still mandatory. So actually, that was a cool hunt. That was um, the uh, Base Wainwright moose hunt. Oh, and? Yeah, so that was... Um, so I've done the Suffield Elk Hunt. Was the Wainwright uh, <laughs> one as much of a... Well, I don't want to say it's a shit show. But no, no, like, no. It's a little bit of an administrative mess. It is... It, I, I have to say the guys in Wainwright run a real tight ship. It, the mess is what happens when you get out to the field mm. because you are allowed to drive everywhere that's not in the impact area. And uh, a lot of guys, when it's cold, just want to drive around everywhere. And unfortunately, they're just pushing the game around. And so what I ended up doing to be successful up there, I'm probably giving too much away right now, but I uh, went into, um, there are several walk-in area onlys. Okay, so uh, what do they call them? Uh, you know, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I signed up for the muzzleloader season knowing I'd have a better chance. And so, yeah, on the third day, I was able to uh, take my cow moose with my uh, 50 cow muzzleloader. So it was legit. And um, take it back um, to the uh, central processing facility um, where they give like the morning safety brief and all that. And the guys are there to actually take all the samples for you. Because they ask you, do you want to keep the head? Do you not want to keep the head? And if you do want to keep the head, they'll take the samples and then send you on your way. So do they take the head from you or do they um, like, like, or do they, they yep. core it right there? Right there. It? Yep. Right on the tailgate of your truck. Oh, wow. That's it, awesome. It is awesome because you have to go check in, plot it on the map um, anyways. And, uh, and you know, they Wainwright does a really good job. Um, but success rates are super low. Um, I think they said I was the only guy who was successful on the moose during the muzzleloader season. Oh, wow. Yep. So, <clears throat> oh, geez, I'm getting caught. <laughs> um, so, so muzzleloader, I know that's fairly mm-hmm. new for you. What do you think of the muzzleloader? Like it it's is a modern muzzleloader though, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's accurate out to 100. Um, I'm not sure if it's, it's killing power out to 100. I don't, I don't know. It's fun. First of all, like it's like a novelty. It's not my go-to even for fun because of its lower efficacy. I only hunt with a muzzle loader because it means I can get certain tags a lot easier or a lot sooner. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because like that primitive weapon season, I wish we kind of had more of a, a late muzzle loader only. Yeah. Well. It's very specific mm-hmm. to the WMUs in Alberta. It is. It's, you know, areas where they're really trying to control the population, but... You know, the muzzle loader, it can be fun, but it's messy. It's kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, there's a reason it's antiquated. And there's, I don't know, there's just something in my brain about hunting with a space age muzzle loader that just, uh, yeah. You know, if I want to go out, I want to go with like one of those weird Kentucky long rifles. Get a flintlock. Exactly. Oh, flintlock. Oh, man. I don't even know if I could do that. I might have to get like percussion cap or something just for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's novel. Why not? Like, like why not? Yeah. Like, like just to kind of experience it. Um, and yeah. see, see what the forebears, the pioneers in this great country had to deal with. Well, we are spoiled right now. I'm telling you, like from efficacy of modern rifles, the amount of game we have, you know, everyone of every generation is going to complain that there's not enough deer, not enough elk. I think we are living in kind of the best of times right now. Well, yeah, like I guess here in the West, everybody kind of tends to forget that we have very managed, managed game populations. Big time. So you look in like central Alberta, red deer is named after just the herds and herds of elk that used to be there. And it was a in the plains. Oh yeah. You go to the pioneer club there and then, uh, or sorry, the pioneer lodge rather. And there's Buffalo all over the place that right. was shot fairly recent. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, it's kind of wild to, in, in my mind, at least I think, wow, there's still, there was still bison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> out there at that time. Like, Holy crap. Like that's not, yeah, that's not that long ago. And I really hope this, uh, the reintroduction out in Banff national park, I really hope that kicks off in a big way. And I do too. Some good numbers. Yeah. I understand some of the concerns of, uh, ranchers with cattle in the area, but if we can have Buffalo roaming the plains elk back out in their more native 
Plains Habitat, I'm all for that. Yeah. Oh, man, that'd be so awesome to see. Like, yeah. we just had a discussion offline. I was in this area where buffalo used to be plentiful. Yeah, exactly. So we were hunting an area that was uh, an ancient buffalo jump, and there's all these striations in the field. Or sorry, in the coulee, and it just looks like it's terraced field. And you're like, what is there's no way there's that many deer to create that. And then they're old buffalo trails. Amazing. And Over thousands of years. Yeah, they're just scarred into the mm-hmm. landscape, and they're so visible. And, wow, what, a, what an amazing sight to see. And very mm-hmm. fortunate. Oh, man, we're so spoiled here. <laughs> we, we are, and I don't like to tell people that. This is the thing about, like, you know, getting new hunters into it. You want to recruit. You want to retain. Um, however, um, I don't know. Things are getting busy out there. We do have a lot of animals uh out there but we have a lot more hunters especially well in the covid years i think everyone was like oh i don't have anything else to do and or i want to be able to secure my uh food source you know what i mean yeah well i think uh alberta i think the the guys over at meat eater they do a big thing on how alberta is has one of the largest growing populations of hunters since the 80s of any jurisdiction in north america oh is that right yeah alberta is doing something yeah so one of the things they're doing real good uh capture not necessarily pushing the heritage or so much of it that's part of it for sure yeah um but the thing is just kind of taking that ownership 100 mile diet very prevalent yeah right exactly and oh man i remember in university some of the folks i'd run into oh my gosh this guy <laughs> looked pretty rough on a monday morning and it's during season i'm like dude are you all right and he uh he and his buddy who had almost zero hunting experience were going out with their bows and trying to navigate the backcountry with an iphone compass and no map oh, no God. recce no place they'd ever been in just totally out of place yeah, you, you know what? I'm glad they got out. And I think there's some really good ambassadors for the sport, too, that are kind of changing the way, uh, the landscape, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, oh, man, yeah, we, we're so blessed to be in this province. Oh, my God. But I'm just hoping CWD doesn't do it, and I hope, uh, you know, you know, and I'm always wary of some things that governments want to do. <laughs> yeah, big time. So, And, and, and I'm hoping, like, because this year, just the, the sheer amount of tags that were issued, I hope it's not just this um, this bumper year for harvesting wild That's game right. just to be uh, thin years ahead. I can't wait to hear about the numbers when they release them next year of how effective it was increasing all those tags, but we'll find out. Yeah, it's hard to say because like the, the season is so short, especially the general season. Yeah, exactly. And, and then like, oh man, I know guys who are quote, bow hunters who haven't got anything in 10 years and I'm sorry, you're just yeah. a bow enthusiast at that, at point. that point. You're not hunting anything other than disappointment. Yeah. Well, I've had a couple good years with my bow. So along with the muzzle loader, yeah, I've always loved art- archery, right? But it's funny, like I was... Well, your last name is Fletcher. Is Fletcher. Dude. Come on. Like I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's... If I right didn't bow hunt, I would... Uh, I'd be in trouble. Yeah, People would be for like, sure. Yeah. Oh, really? You need a rifle, Fletcher? Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, there? yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I I really love the idea of the five or six stages of being a hunter. I'm sure you've heard of them. Like number one is you're a shooter. You re- would just want to you know get lead down range, have a lot of fun. Number two is limiting out. You oh you're going on a duck hunt. I need my limit. Every yeah, I gotta day. get everything all the time, every day. Yeah, yeah everything all all the time. And then you get in the trophy stage. Okay, I don't need to shoot everything, but what I do shoot has to be huge. It has to be special. That's the word I use. It has to be special. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe not huge, but maybe has some cool characteristics. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then um, maybe, I don't know what stage I'm in exactly. I probably flip-flop, but the next stage is method. And so whether it's a bow, muzzle loader, to me, I'm not drawn to those because they're different i'm drawn to them because um living in calgary we have the 212 bow zone right and if someone says you can hunt this area that has more game than a lot of others but you can only use your bow okay i'll do that yeah like for me it's just uh i get out for every season that i can and uh, the more stuff i think you're willing to get into the bigger and broader your hunting season is going to be and your hunting experience are going to be and, exactly. And you can take that experience with you to every hunt you do, whether it's small game or big game or, or whatever it is. And just organizing because, oh, my God, organizing a hunting party with some people is like herding cats and pulling teeth simultaneously. Especially if you're in that recruiting stage trying to get guys to come out. Or, I, I mean, I'm sure with you at this point, it's more... People coming up to you, hey, will you take me? Yeah, I don't, I don't invite anybody. That's right. <laughs> New, oh, I've been inviting Brooke out for a while, but <laughs> but the last five years. Yeah, yeah, he's got he's got this thing called responsibilities. So yeah, like, I, I, I feel for him, but like yeah, you know, it gets to the point where you end up hunting with a lot of people. You realize who you can hunt with. <laughs> yeah, you realize really, really quickly. Yeah. And like you and I with military backgrounds, 
um, you would think, oh, it's an army guy. He'll be cool. No, 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 no <laughs> not at all. There's there's straight up people I know who, uh, yeah, who, who I just don't go hunting with, or I try to limit my exposure to them in the field. Doesn't yeah. mean they're bad dudes. It just means, um, yeah, I, I prefer to do other things. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? Maybe on that note, like Brooke, how are we doing for time, brother? Uh, yeah, we're just over an hour now. Just over go. an hour. Well, you know what, Fletcher, you are a guy I can hunt with, and uh, you know what? Why don't we? Yeah, as our guest, thank you so much for being on the show. I'll give you the final word, my friend. Well, fantastic. So I guess to end it, um, we were just talking about the five stages of, of being a hunter. Um, I guess the stage that I'm getting into now as a father is um, that mentorship stage. So um, whether or not you're going to bring out you know, your college buddy who wants to get into hunting, and I know it means more people in the field, but... Uh, I guess to everyone who's listening, take the effort to bring out your child, take the effort to bring out someone new, because uh, even if Alberta is growing, this is a sport that uh, could be at risk if we don't keep enough people doing it. And uh, to bring, to see the, like, join your child's eyes when you have success out in the field, it makes it all worthwhile. So I'll leave it at that. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks for being here. It's been a long time coming. All cheers to that. Cheers. Stay safe out there, everyone, and good hunting.